Sober Powered is sponsored by BetterHelp. I was a stress drinker and I thought if only I didn't have so much stress, I wouldn't have to drink this much. But do you know why I had all this stress? Because I didn't have the skills to take stressors off my plate so they built up and wore me down. Some stressors are big and others are small, but carrying around 25 minor annoyances is going to have an impact on you. Plus, did you know that alcohol messes with our stress response system and decreases our ability to handle stress? It makes small things seem like a much bigger deal. Learning how to manage stress and take things off my plate has changed my life. I'm calm, I'm less reactive, and I believe that I can handle whatever comes my way. I feel proud of the way that I handle things now. You can get there too. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com sober to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash sober. Tossing and turning all night like a salad. It's time to put those sleepless nights to bed for good. Enter Tanasi, my sleep saviors, and they have science to back up their sleep, anxiety, and pain-relieving powers. Back in 2016, they invested a $2.5 million grant to Middle Tennessee State University to study the hemp plant. Turns out their special patent-pending CBD-CBDA formula is twice as effective as CBD alone and can be more effective than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. So if you're tired of tossing and turning like a rotisserie chicken, then Tanasi's got your back with their range of great products from tinctures to gummies to lotions. Tanasi is my go-to when I can't sleep or I have way too much anxiety. I'm so glad that I discovered them. So go to Tanasi.com and use the code POWER to get 25% off your order. That's Tanasi.com, T-A-N-A-S-I, to get 25% off your first order with the promo code POWER. Are you tired of your digestive system feeling like a circus act gone wrong? Introducing Ritual's 3-in-1 Gut Superhero Symbiotic Plus, a probiotic, prebiotic, and postbiotic all rolled into one. And with 25% off with the code POWER, there's no better time to check out Ritual. Let's break it down. Probiotics are like the cool kids at the gut party, keeping everything in check and making sure the good vibes are flowing. Prebiotics are their wingmen, fueling the party with all the right snacks to keep the good bacteria thriving. And postbiotics, well, they're like the cleanup crew, sweeping away the mess and leaving your gut feeling fresh and fabulous. So say goodbye to the gut drama and remember, there's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com power. A lot of us refer to our drinking as a bad habit, something that we have to break and then we'll be okay. Something gets messed up in the way that we build, maintain, and break habits, and that's what we're discussing in this episode. You'll learn about the different ways that your brain determines what action to take, how this impacts cravings, and I'll analyze a personal story about my experience with automatic drinking without any thought. So let's dig in. Your brain has 
has two systems that control your behavior. The goal-directed circuit makes decisions based on your goals, and the habitual automatic circuit conserves energy and selects a behavior based on what you've done in the past when you're faced with the same cues. We learn these automatic behaviors through repetition and conditioned cues, like having a drink after work. We teach our brain that work stress, family stress, needing to unwind, transitioning from work to home and more, all means drinking alcohol, so the brain remembers this. If you'd like to learn more about how dopamine reinforces memories and cues, then I have a free resource that I'll link in the show notes, or you can go to soberpowered.com free and see all my free resources there. So anyway, for a bad habit, once the consequences start to build, our goal-directed process can take over and we can work to break the bad habit. I had a really bad habit of biting my nails when I was a kid, and I noticed how gross I thought my hands looked all the time, and I felt sad that I could never get a manicure like the other girls that I went to school with got for their birthdays. My mom told me that I could get a manicure if I stopped biting my nails, so I worked to break the bad habit. With drinking, take-it-or-leave-it drinkers can adjust their drinking this way, but we can't. We notice the consequences and then we excuse them and go harder. Something's going on with our brains in either the way that we form habits or in the ability of our goal-directed circuit to function or both. Habits are the expression of a stimulus-response association. So there's some kind of stimulus like walking into the kitchen and that makes us associate it with a response, like opening the fridge. So even if you're not hungry, you may open the fridge every single time you go into the kitchen, even though you already know what's in there. It's similar with alcohol, except we build a lot of associations and they are very powerful. Goal-directed behavior is a response-outcome association. So the response or action that you take depends on what outcome you'll have. The outcome is the important thing here because with goal-directed behavior, you're making decisions based on a goal, based on what you want. With habits, they rely on stimulus-response associations, like I said a moment ago. So there's a cue in the environment, and then you do the thing you've always done. That's it. Goal-directed behavior relies on how sure you are that you're going to get the outcome you desire and how motivated you are to get that outcome. So sobriety would be considered goal-directed. We want to feel better. We want our consequences to go away. We want our friends and family to have better experiences with us, and we want our health to be better. If you think that it's unlikely that you will achieve these things through sobriety or that it will be too hard, then you're driving up the cost of sobriety and making it seem not worth it. So the first difference between goal-directed and habitual behaviors is the input. For goal-directed, our action depends on the outcome. For habitual, our action depends on the cue and what we've always done in response to that cue. The second difference is when the value of the reward goes away. For goal-directed, if the outcome isn't valued anymore, or you don't think your action will lead you to the reward, then you will stop doing the behavior. For example, if your boss assigns you tasks that they're really excited about, but then they never bring it up ever again, 
you'll learn that your boss is just excitable and you don't actually have to do these tasks. So you stop doing them. With drinking, we get hit with worse and worse consequences over time, but we still value drinking and want to do it. We still say that we're going to be deprived if we don't drink or that we're considering indulging or treating ourselves with a drink. Human studies on patients addicted to alcohol and other drugs have found that they are less sensitive to outcome devaluation, which is when the reward loses its value. This is partly why we hang on for so long. We keep chasing the original reward from our drinking, even though that experience is long gone. Studies have found that people who struggle with addiction are also less able to suppress stimulus response associations for rewards that have lost their value, meaning cues to drink have a lot of power over our actions and we have trouble inhibiting these impulses. This is what I talked about in last week's episode too, where more preservative errors were being made in the test. Associations stick with us longer than they should. We may initially decide to drink using the goal-directed behavior circuit. We want the anxiety to stop. We want to forget. We can't handle feeling this way. We want to fit in. But then after that first sip, the automatic process takes over and we continue drinking all night. The influence that conditioned cues for alcohol have on our behavior grow over time in a phenomenon that's called incubation of craving. And studies have found that this can peak at around three months sober, which based on what I've seen in the living a sober powered life community, it seems like three to six months is the toughest time to maintain sobriety. I had a lot of trouble from six to nine months So you may not have the exact same experience, but it seems like anywhere in that three to nine month mark is very challenging. Cravings are a huge problem. A 2014 study on humans had a control group of all regular people, a group of people with a diagnosis of alcohol use disorder within the past six months who were either still struggling or in very early sobriety, and a group of people who had depression and anxiety but no alcohol use disorder. They showed them 50 neutral pictures and 50 alcohol-related pictures and looked at brain activity and self-reported craving levels. Obviously, the alcohol use disorder group had more cravings after looking at alcohol-related images, but the most interesting thing here, and I'll send out the figure in my weekly email and have it on my website, is that the alcohol use disorder group started out with much higher baseline levels of craving. This group had about 1.5 times the baseline level of cravings. So before you even do anything to us, we're already at a disadvantage. We're already craving alcohol. It's just how we exist in the world. This study also found that the more severe your alcohol use disorder, the more cravings you're going to have. When they took a look at their brains, they saw much higher brain activity in the alcohol use disorder group compared to the others. So the brain was activating in response to alcohol cues. The longer that someone had struggled with alcohol, the more brain activation they saw too. So this is another reason why you shouldn't wait and convince yourself that it'll get better on its own or that you're too old to make a change. 
Waiting just makes the problem worse because alcohol continues to change your brain, making it harder to get out. If you know a little bit about my story, then you may know about my 90-day challenge. That break was the reason that I was able to quit for good, and I described it more in episode 164. After I started drinking again, my husband and I went on a cruise and we had the drink package. I decided that it was a special occasion, so I would drink the way I wanted to and then go back to controlled drinking after. You probably know how that one turned out. But during the vacation, I got very drunk basically every day. I remember one night I was so drunk that I was swaying and we had to be up early for a tour. And it was a tour that I was very excited about. It was like the one day that I was really looking forward to. My husband was trying to keep up with me, but he wasn't able to this time. So he brought a full beer back to the room and set it on the table. He didn't want it. I think my husband was talking to me about waking up early for the tour the next day. And suddenly, without warning, I picked up his beer and slammed it. We were getting ready for bed. The fun was over. We were not going out to party or like be at the bars anymore. There was no reason for me to do that, but I did it anyways. If you've ever had a drink and you didn't understand why, then maybe that story resonates with you. I've discussed this in previous episodes, which I'll list out in the show notes, but we get fixated on alcohol and our attention gets stuck on it. It's hard to overcome an urge to drink if you can't get your attention off alcohol. A 2011 study looked at people who were drinking and observed their attention. And it's hard to observe drunk people because being drunk impacts your ability to do anything, but they attempted to correct for this in their methods. And they found that even at BACs high enough to impair the ability for the eyes to do their job, Problem drinkers were still fixated on alcohol-related stimuli, so basically on alcohol. And that's where I was at on the cruise, but I didn't even notice it. And these fixation times are measured in milliseconds. We get stuck on alcohol or alcohol-related cues longer than anything else, but not long enough to make it to our conscious mind. So I didn't just randomly slam the beer for no reason. My mind had probably been stuck on it since my husband set the beer down and I knew that I could drink it. And my goal-directed circuit was screaming, you have to be up for a tour tomorrow. You're very excited about this tour. And you're about to go to bed. There's no reason to drink more. And my habitual automatic circuit just kept thinking, when there's a drink, we drink it. And then eventually that won and I drank the beer. And you know what? I didn't wake up in time for the tour. So if you're considering drinking on vacation and that you need to drink to have fun, I don't recommend it. So this might all sound really bleak. Our brains build strong automatic loops. We walk around with a higher baseline level of craving for alcohol. And the habitual circuit is able to win over our goal-directed circuit. But it's not all bad. Sometimes something can happen that shocks you out of the loop and allows the goal-directed circuit to take over. You might feel like it's different this time or feel a sense of peace that you can't explain. And if that hasn't happened to you yet, then this is why I always encourage you to get support. 
your automatic circuit and the cues that your brain has built reinforcing your drinking are very strong. Plus, you're walking around with higher baseline cravings for alcohol. This makes it really easy to go back to drinking. You can think of support like a shield that you put up. The problem with automatic behavior is we can't pause to think. Otherwise, it wouldn't be automatic, right? If you have a support shield, then it makes it easier to pause and think. You think about how you don't want to tell your therapist, your sober community, or your sponsor that you drink, and that pause gives you enough time to not drink. If you need a sober community, mine is always there for you. We would love to support you, no matter where you're at in your journey. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate if you could share it with someone or leave the podcast five stars if you haven't done that yet. And I will talk to you next week. Addiction impacts all of us. Addiction's consequences run through all of us. From ourselves to our loved ones and through our communities, addiction creates so much loss and grief. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm the host of the Addicted Mind podcast, a show featuring personal stories, expert guests, and vital information about addiction and addiction recovery. We'll talk with leading treatment providers to discuss the latest research and treatment options for this devastating disease and advocate for mental health awareness. We discuss topics like the importance of creating a community of support to helping loved ones to some of the latest research on psychedelic medicines. The Addicted Mind podcast has been about creating hope, listening to stories of many amazing people that have overcome addiction and are thriving. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, subscribe to the Addicted Mind podcast wherever you get your podcasts or check out theaddictedmind.com. New episodes every Monday. See you there.